It's beautiful. Thank you, choir. What a special reminder. That, it's a great song. I remember singing that song on a porch in Spain with the sun going down and about 20 high school kids and playing that on the guitar and singing, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. It's a good reminder today that all we have is Jesus. Like Bob said, that's a wonderful thing to proclaim because if all you have is Jesus, then you have everything, right? And we've, we've gone through a lot of loss this week. We've had a funeral service. We've talked to other couples here that have experienced loss this week. It's important to remember in times of hardship and in times of joy that Jesus is sufficient. He told the Apostle Paul, he read it in our family devotion this morning, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. He told the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for your every need, right? No matter what you're going through. Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more in my weaknesses because in my weakness, his power is made perfect. So praise God for that reminder today. We're going to continue our series on family values. I, I forgot to mention, I can barely see Hannah there over these flowers, but uh, there you are. Hey, uh, I forgot to mention that these flowers are, are given by the Horrell family in, in honor of Kathleen and, and Wanda Horrell, who uh, just died recently. But uh, Kathleen and Henry Horrell were saints and pillars of this church for many, many years. I keep seeing Henry's name on documents uh, that were written throughout the, the church's history. I, I hear that Kathleen was a great writer of letters, and we're going to be looking at a letter today from the Apostle Paul. He was a writer of letters as well. But let me just ask, if you ever received a letter, a handwritten note from Kathleen Horrell, will you just raise your hand up in the air? Wow, that's a lot of you. And she, she died a few years ago, but that's, that's a lot of people in this church that she wrote a handwritten letter to. What a wonderful legacy of faith that we get to enjoy now. Thank you to the Horrell family. We're going to talk about today from Paul's letter what it looks like to uh, be a family of faith here. We're doing this series on our family values. What is it that is important to our church? What are the things that we cherish above all others what is it that defines our culture here at Woodmont Baptist Church? You know, our staff went away and prayed about these things and talked about it for a long time, and we, we've already covered our first three values so far in the month of February. We talked about what it means to be a worshiping congregation. I think the choir just demonstrated what that looks like, just leading us to worship as we considered what it means to have Jesus and, and give everything else away. Thank you to the choir. I heard from a church member recently who said, I was at lunch with seven other church members and we all agreed, none of us are in the choir, but we all agreed the choir sounds really good lately. Why is that? <laughs> he wanted to know if, we'd, if Mike Whittle had made some technological arrangements with the microphones or something, but uh, I, you know, Sandy said, I, I think it's just because there's a lot of us. There's just a lot of people excited to be uh, worshiping and worship leaders and lead worshipers with Aaron's leadership. So thank you, choir. You do bless us with your ministry here, and you do sound fantastic and, and lead us to the throne every week. So a worshiping congregation, that's important. We got to get that one right first and foremost. Then second, we talked about what it means to be a praying church. Our, our brilliant church librarians, I won't name them because they'll get embarrassed, but they set up a prayer corner after the message a couple weeks ago on prayer in the library, and there's all these resources, great books written on the subject of prayer. So if you want to 
deepen your own prayer life, and I encourage you to stop into our media library after the service and uh, see what uh, resources are available to you on the subject of prayer. Then last week, we got a little philosophical as we considered what is truth, the question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus sarcastically we decided to take a serious look at truth and we decided that God's word is truth. That Jesus Christ himself is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. Truth is reality as God sets it. So now our our church must be rooted in these values, right? In worship, in prayer, in truth, and now family, and then next week we're gonna talk about mission. I can't wait uh, for next week. But if we're gonna be effective in fulfilling our mission to love God and to love others and to make disciples, if we're gonna be effective in fulfilling our vision to bring hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world, we must be rooted and grounded in this kind of culture. A worshiping church, a praying church, a church that values truth, and a church that is a family to one another and a church that takes the mission of God very seriously. You know, before we get into this, this is probably my favorite of the five values is family, because I think it's true of Woodmont that we are a family of faith. But before we get into that, let me just say that we also are a church that values families. We take families very seriously as well. We have a full-time minister of preschool and children, and she's doing a fantastic job. We have a full-time minister of youth in college who's doing a fantastic job and now is called to plant a church in our area. We're going to pray him out, but we also have a a wonderful search committee that's already formed and and meeting that is looking to fill Trey's big shoes as as he leaves us to to go do his um, next chapter of ministry. We are invested in families here. We're invested in, in helping parents to do the hard work of discipling their children. Rachel went with Ron and picked up a a shelf for a resource center for parents because they want to help resource us parents who are in the trenches doing the day-in, day-out work of trying to raise our children in the way that they should go. We're deeply invested in marriages as well. I I get to do premarital counseling. At one point, I was doing six premarital counseling sessions with couples all at the same time. It was a, a crazy time. And my pastor friends are like, man, you gotta outsource that stuff. And I was like, no, I love it. I think it's really important that I get to talk with them about marriage. We hosted a marriage conference here about a year and a half ago with Fran Shaka. It was a very powerful time. We're passionate here about families and helping families to flourish as God would have them to. I'm gonna talk about singles here in a minute as well. I think that's very important. But today we're gonna focus on what it means to do life together as a family of faith, as Woodmont Baptist Church. And our text today uh, comes from a letter, reminds me of Kathleen Horrell, from the letter to the church in Philippi. If you look at Philippians chapter one, verses three through 11, will you stand in honor of God's word if you're able to as I read Philippians one, three through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. In the summer of 2000, the year 2000, I just graduated from Franklin High School, and and my senior class at First Baptist Nashville had the opportunity, the amazing privilege, to fly across the Pacific Ocean and to spend uh, 12 days ministering in Sydney, Australia. And through a partnership with the Baptist Association of New South Wales, where Sydney is, that's the state that Sydney is located in, we were split up into three groups and placed into three different churches. We were we were put up in, uh, in host homes, which is an amazing experience. You really don't know a culture until you get to stay in someone's home from that culture. And we got to live with these uh, Australian people for 12 days and work in this church. We actually joined them in their special events they had going on and in their regular ministries each, you know, throughout the week. And I loved it. I fell in love with the people, with the culture, and with the, the staff as well, the church that I was in. And as we were leaving, the pastor uh, in the airport who was dropping us off pulled me aside and said, I I really think you should consider going into full-time ministry. I think the Lord is calling you to ministry. And it was an amazing moment. The Lord was moving in my heart, and he, he prayed over me, and he gave me a hug. And it really was a pivotal time in my life. It was the Lord's solidifying the call on my life to vocational ministry. And I had the amazing opportunity to go back uh, a year later. The the pastor and I stayed in touch via email and he invited me to come back and spend six weeks working just by myself in their church. And I learned the ins and outs of ministry and we debriefed after Sunday morning, you know, what was good, what was bad, what do we need to work on? It was amazing, I got to preach, I got to help lead worship, got to work with the youth, it was an amazing privilege. And then a couple years later, they came here. We got to host six of my friends from the Beverly Hills Baptist Church. I know that sounds like Beverly Hills, but Beverly Hills in Australia is not like Beverly Hills in uh, America. Uh, I got to host six of them, including my pastor friend at my dad's church. I was a college student, a junior at Belmont, and we got to host six of them at my dad's church for uh, eight days. And we did ministry in and around Nashville, working uh, with different churches and, and nonprofits here in town. And then I got to go back in the summer of 2003 for a third time to visit for uh, eight weeks this time. And then in 2008, Morgan and I took a group of high schoolers back to Australia for a fourth time. These people are like family to me. These people have done life with me in a way that is intimately spiritual, and they have become my brothers and my sisters. You know, that the way that Paul talks about his church family in Philippi is similar to the way I feel about my brothers and sisters 
at the Beverly Hills Baptist Church in Sydney. When I left in, in 2003, it was extremely tearful. It was a sad time. I knew I wouldn't see them for many years. Um, we hugged and we wept together, knowing it would be a long time. It was, I was going to go on to a different stage in life. I was dating a girl named Morgan. I was about to graduate from college in a year. I knew that I was going to seminary and that I would not be back to Australia for some time. And these are people that I had prayed with on our knees as we cried out to God, Lord, please get a hold of these people's parents' hearts who are not believers, who are Buddhists, who are lost and searching. We had done Bible studies in their homes. We had shared so many meals around the table and at the beach at Cronulla and at Manly. We'd worshiped and studied together intently. We were bonded together with the tie that binds. This is, again, the way that Paul feels about the church in Philippi. It was the first church that he'd ever planted on the European continent. He had visited them every chance that he could, and they continued to support Paul's ministry even when he was in prison, which was a big social faux pas in the ancient Near East. They sent him gifts. They sent him encouragers throughout his missionary travels. And even though when Paul writes this, he's under house arrest, this letter is marked by joy and affection that is supernatural. The church in Philippi was a, a healthy church. It was full of what Paul refers to as his fellow workers, his co-laborers in the gospel. He loves these people dearly. You know, it's not like the, the Corinthian church. You, you read First and Second Corinthians, you just get the, the feeling that these people in Corinth just exasperate Paul. <laughs> he just, it's like, oh, this guy's doing this stupid thing again, and this guy, quit it, stop it, cut it out. He's having to put out fires left and right in Corinth. Not so in Philippi. None of, none of those kinds of issues were arising in Philippi. There was a disagreement between Yodia and Syntyche in chapter four, but not a big deal. The word for joy or rejoice is found 16 times throughout this brief four chapter letter. It's the shared joy, a, a mutual gladness that spans the many miles that separate them physically. How does Paul address the church in Philippi? He calls them fellow laborers, co-workers in the gospel, but seven times in, in this letter he refers to them as Adelphoi in Greek, which you know Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love, right? Adelphoi means siblings. These are family to Paul. He starts the letter with a, a brief greeting, and then he launches into this prayer report that we just read in verse 3. It's an update on how he's been praying for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. In most modern translations, the, that chapter 1, verse 3 to 11 is broken up into, you know, four or five sentences. But in Greek, it's one big, gushy, run-on, convoluted sentence. The idea is that Paul's just stream of consciousness overflowing with gratitude and joy for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. Two weeks ago, we, we looked at what Paul told the church in Thessalonica when he wrote in 1 
Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. And we said that those are not three separate commandments, but it's one connected idea of how to live the Christian life because it's God's will for us to live that way. This is a perfect demonstration here of how gratitude and joy and prayer are all connected, right? This is a prayer, but look at verse three. I thank my God, there's gratitude there, in all my remembrance of you, always praying without ceasing, in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. He's in chains, but he's joyful. Rejoice in all circumstances. Why does he have this joy? There's a, a special kind of intimate bond, blessed be the tie that binds that we sang earlier, that's a threefold bond. You know, when, when you have a friend or when you have someone that you love, that's great, there's two of you and that's wonderful. But when the Lord is the center of that relationship, and there's a threefold bond between the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your beloved, that's a special bond. That's a spiritual intimacy that makes you family, not just friends or acquaintances, but closer than blood. That's what we're talking about today. Now, I'm a pastor, yes, I, I work with people. People ask me, you know, how's it being a pastor? I'm like, well, I work with people, and, and people are, are messed up like I am. We're all in the same boat, and, and people can wear me out. Okay, it's true, but at the end of the day, I still love our family of faith here, each and every member and guest at Woodmont Baptist Church. And this prayer of Paul for the church in Philippians reminds me to be grateful for each one of you and to, to find the joy that comes from knowing our members here and that I are connected because we love the Lord and we love each other. And that makes us family. So what's the basis of Paul's joy in his grateful prayers to the Lord on behalf of his sisters and, and brothers in Philippi? What is it about these people that he loves so much? Are they really funny? Are they witty? Are they just fun to be around? Are they cool? Are they hip? Are they, they trendy and he enjoys being around those kinds of people? Are they wealthy? Is that it? Make him feel important? Status? No. Look at verse 5. It's because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The reason, the underlying reason for his thanksgiving and joy is their partnership in furthering the good news of Jesus Christ throughout the world. You know what the Greek word is, is here for partnership? Your partnership in the gospel, it's your koinonia in the gospel. Your fellowship, your participation with me, your co-participation is what it means, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what was so compelling about my friends in Australia. They just weren't some fun people to be around. We were part of something that was so much bigger than any of us or bigger than America, bigger than Australia. We were partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to encourage the believers that their progress in the faith will continue. They can trust that. Look at verse 6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
I used to write that in the Bibles that we gave to all of our seniors when I was a youth pastor. The God who has begun this great work of sanctifying love in your life is going to continue that sanctifying work until Jesus returns. And we're on that journey together. God's not done with us, thank goodness. We're all works in progress, but one day our sanctification will end. Then in verse seven, Paul jumps right back into this gratitude for his Philippian family. It's right, he says, for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace. We share in the same grace, common grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Not only have the Philippians been Paul's partners in, in church planning there in Philippi, but they also continue to love him in tangible expressions by ministering to him even while he's in prison. So Paul says, I, I hold you all in my heart, even though we're far apart. I hold you in the place where the, the same Holy Spirit that indwells you and indwells me, I hold you in the place where the Holy Spirit dwells and works in my life. I love how bold Paul is and how passionate he is in expressing his feelings here. Men in Paul's day didn't typically talk like this. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I know a lot of scholarly types. I know a lot of very successful business types who do not speak in these kinds of affectionate, warm tones. But as Christians, we are called to have tender hearts, to be warm-hearted, to be kind and loving and affectionate towards each other. When my pastor friend hugged me in the airport in Sydney, he, he was breaking an Australian social code that said that men do not hug, except on the, the sporting pitch, of course, where they are very affectionate. He later told me that his dad had never hugged him, ever, in his life. Uh, the only males he'd ever hugged in his life were his own two young sons. I was the first man he'd ever hugged. It reminds me of a great example of a Christian family and community that was enacted at a youth retreat here a few years ago. Uh, Trey and, and the team had just put on a worship service and they had studied the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, the story of the son coming running back and his father standing there with open arms ready to welcome him back. And there were several students on that trip who um, maybe hadn't seen their dad in a few days, a few weeks, even a few years. Some of them didn't have a, a strong father model in their home to, to look up to. And on that trip, there was a, a, a deacon and a leader in our church who had a couple kids in college and he was a, a good father. And, and he was willing to be available for anyone who needed a dad hug. And he just stood at the back, ready to receive anyone who needed a hug from a good father. And one by one, these students collapsed into his arms as he embraced them with an appropriate hug of a father in a loving way that showed them they are valued and that they are esteemed highly by their good, good father in heaven. Such a powerful picture of the church being family to one another. 
getting choked up just thinking about it. I don't think there was a dry eye in the room, was there? We as Christians, if we're going to be a family, we have to be ready to embrace those who need of appropriate family affection. Next, Paul gives a prayer report about his intercessory petitions on behalf of the Philippians. Verse nine, he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's praying that this young church full of new believers would increase in their love for God, for neighbors, and for each other. Let's don't forget that one. He also prays that they would continue to be faithful in their Christian walk, that they would discern what's God's best for their lives, what is appropriately the way of flourishing. How do they stay pure and bear good fruit that comes through walking closely with Jesus. You see how wonderful it is when the church sees its fellow members as family, as closer than blood. I've heard a lot of guests who've visited our church who have told me, your church is so warm and so welcoming. You really are a family. You know, it's interesting after the service on Sundays, we normally have to shut the lights off because people just hang out and talk for a, a long time because we're family. We're not in a hurry to just rush out and get to lunch, but we like actually being together. I really do think we have a strong family dynamic here. I know there's a lunch bunch that goes out to eat after the service that are family to one another. I love that. We have a ways to go, though. We, we really are a rare church these days in that we are truly multi-generational. But I remember Calvin said something years ago that I, I can't forget. He said, we don't know each other. We have to get to know one another. We have to break bread around the tables. Trey and our, Rachel and our staff have come up with ideas of how to get some inner, intentional intergenerational times where we can get to know each other and actually do life together. Now, how does that happen? Where does that family feel come from? Is it through just making some events or doing intergenerational trivia? No, it's got to be a theological foundation. We have to understand what it means to be a Christian that we are bound together. Does that family feel just happen naturally? No. Does it just happen that we like each other and that we just have great selfless people who minister to one another? No. It's more like Paul and his Philippian family. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus redefines what family looks like. A young man comes to him as he's teaching his disciples, and he says, hey, Jesus, your, your mom and your brothers are outside. They're waiting for you. And Jesus says this in verse 49, stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. There is a very real sense that for those of us who are now found in Christ, who've died to ourselves and been raised to a whole new life in Jesus and are caught up now in doing God's will together, we are brothers and sisters. We're connected in a profoundly mysterious way. The same Holy Spirit 
who now leads you and owns you now leads me and owns me, the same God indwelling both of us. We become family in our common experience of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, a beautiful passage. It says in verse 17, he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We who were once far off from God have now been brought close to him through the blood of the cross, and now we're part of his house, his own family. I, I wish we had time to get into Romans 8. Trey loves Romans 8, talking about how we cry, our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, because we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. I've heard it said that at the, the foot of the cross, the ground is level. I love what Bob prayed in his prayer today, that for the, the prisoners at Lois DeBerry, they're no different than we are. No matter what background you've come from, you may have been in prison. We have people here who've been in prison. That's great. You may have been extremely successful in your business. We have people like that. That's wonderful. You may not know how you're going to pay your rent next week. We have those people too. We have PhDs and doctors and lawyers, and we have people who work manual labor. They're no different. We're all one in Jesus Christ in one family. I think our church really believes that. You may have been addicted. You may have been through multiple marriages. You may come from a preacher's family. Yikes, like me and Donna. Whew, man, we're the worst. <laughs> Some of you, again, are going through situations that are so hard that you are sure no one here could relate to. But no matter what your background is, your ethnicity, your education, your status, we're all one family here at Woodmont. That means that the church is not a building on a corner, but we are the household of God full of his adopted children. You know, so many of us think of, of, of going to church instead of being the church. This idea of family rectifies that. In our consumer culture, we think of church as an event where religious goods and services are dispensed. We offer worship services. We provide experiences. Churches like this compete with one another for limited number of attendees in our neighborhoods. There's phrases like church hopping or church shopping, sheep stealing, that serve to reinforce this idea of church as business. But that's not the way the Bible talks about church. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul instructs his young protege, the new pastor, Timothy. I've been reading a lot of Timothy in my rookie pastorate. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters in all purity. What a gift to be an intergenerational church that we have older men to serve as spiritual fathers here. What a gift to have these older women that are spiritual mothers to me and to my family. At, at Joe's funeral, someone was here, one of our young adults who's a single, and she said, 
that Donna was her grandmother. I think that's beautiful. What a blessing to have young adults here who serve as uncles to my kids and aunts to my children, who serve as moral examples and inspire us and challenge us and now are leading us in so many ways. We need all these parts of our family in order to be the church. Last Easter, my wife was talking to one of our young adults after the service and she said, what are your plans? He's not from Nashville, didn't have any family in town. She said, what are you doing today for lunch? He said, I don't, I don't have any plans. She said, just come over to our house. And she invited them over and my parents came over after their church service and it was a beautiful day outside and I looked out the window as, as Morgan had prepared an incredible meal as she, she does and we were getting the table set and I, I saw this young adult outside with Jude and he was teaching him to throw a baseball. I, didn't even, I don't know how to throw a slider or curveball, all these things. And he was showing Jude who just became a pitcher on his baseball team how to throw different pitches and they were just hanging out in the backyard having a great time. And I just thought, this is church. This is church. The Bible doesn't elevate marriage over singleness. In fact, it does the opposite. It says that singles have more time to focus on the Lord. I think I've done a disservice to our singles and, and churches have done a disservice by elevating marriage. Oh, who can you set up the single person with? That's not the point. Okay, if you're doing that, stop it. <laughs> Singles are maybe called to singleness. We need to embrace that, but we also need to be family to them. In every age and stage of life, widows, widowers, divorcees, those who've never been called to marry, let's be family to them intentionally. Let's be the kind of family that spans the gamut of ages, of socioeconomic classes, of backgrounds, let's love one another, let's get to know each other. Like Paul loved the Philippians, let's cherish our koinonia in the gospel and our shared participation in the mission of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the family of faith that we have here at Woodmont. I thank you for those who have embraced me and my family, who have been family to me. God, I thank you for the spiritual fathers and mothers especially, for our, our senior adults who have journeyed with you so much longer and farther than I have gone, who serve as mentors to so many, as encouragers and as prayer warriors and leaders. God, I thank you for our young adults in our church, married and unmarried, for the ways that they're stepping up in leadership, for the ways that they challenge and inspire those of us who may be headed more towards middle age. God, I thank you that we have these young children, for the praise kids who are meeting right now, for the four Duncan children who now come to our church. We thank you that they're growing up together. God, we just pray that you would continue to unite us in the Holy Spirit bond of love May we intentionally embrace one another. May we sympathize with one another. May we celebrate with one another. And may we do life intentionally together as a family of faith. We love you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're going to have a time of response now. I'm going to ask our prayer ministry team if y'all will come forward.
Um, I'm also going to say that if you want to be baptized into fellowship here as uh, a member of Woodmont Baptist Church, come talk to us about that. I would love to see these waters of baptism stirred back here. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you feel like you need to do that and you're ready to make that decision, then come forward. There's no better time than right now. Maybe you just want to pray. Maybe you're going through something hard and you just need someone to embrace you like a good father. Maybe you just want to come kneel at the altar and pray for someone. Then we'll, we'll be here to receive you. Our prayer ministry team is here to pray for whatever you have going on. Um, whatever it is that you need to do today, don't leave this place before you've dealt with the Lord Jesus as you would have, um, as you need to. We're gonna sing the foundation of why we are family is because Jesus has paid it all and the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Let's stand and sing, Jesus paid it all. <laughs>